0: Welcome to Emmaus Church. I'm Nathan. Welcome, glad you're here. We've got um, we've got six or seven families doing the marathon in Sacramento this morning. Um, I'm not sure where everybody else is, but uh, I'm glad you're here. Uh, There are a bunch of early morning risers and drives down, and kids getting ready to run this race, and some of some of the adults as well, and uh, some of the youth have been training for this, and it's a great experience to do together. So. Uh, exciting for them. Um, I'm glad you're here. Welcome to Emmaus. Raise your hand if you like a Bible. I'm going to look at two stories today in Scripture and cover a lot of text. And so if you don't normally get a Bible because you say, oh, it's always on the screen. It's not on the screen today, so uh, there's just too much to put on the screen. and be flipping through it all morning. Raise your hand. There we go. That did it. Uh, Raise your hand. (laughs) Grab a Bible. We'll be in Isaiah 45, which is on page uh, 505. That's where we'll start. Um, Also, I hope when you came in, you got a notes page and um, an invitation to our Christmas Eve Eve gathering. This happens at Heritage Theater on the 23rd. It's not a typo, Christmas Eve Eve. And the reason that we're handing these out is really not for you. You already are getting exposed to our announcements and our information um, in person. But I'm hoping that you will take this card and that you'll invite somebody else with it, that you'll write a note to them on the back, drop it off at your neighbor's house, knock on their door, say hi to them, whatever, And ask them to join us on Christmas Eve. This is a, it's going to be a powerful gathering. We're going to be focusing on new life, on fresh starts, on it's never too late to experience the newness of Christ. Um, it's, It's one of the two times a year that people who are skeptical or for other reasons not interested in being a part of church might consider being a part of it. So we can't miss this opportunity to invite those that we care about to join us for church got a kids room um, upstairs at the theater over at Heritage. Um, so folks with little kids who are concerned about that will have a place to go. We're doing a good job with this, and I just hope that you'll invite some folks to join us. All right? Great. Finally, if there's a basket on the aisle, if you could hand it down, that'd be super. If this is your first time with us, welcome. Glad you're here. Consider filling out a card for us, giving us your email address, and that'll enable us to welcome you a little bit better. All right. Great. Well, thanks to all of you who set up this morning in the rain. Um, Let's let's, um, enter into this with our whole hearts. Uh, Increasingly, it seems, uh, busyness and the fullness of a variety of other situations and responsibilities uh, makes the priority of worship on Sunday a challenge. Um, And so as we gather this morning as a community, as a family, let's come alongside one another Pray for the grace that we need to engage our hearts wholly in um, in worship. Our Advent series that we're doing this year is called Searching for Shalom. Shalom is a Hebrew word. It's usually translated in English into the word peace, which is good, but it means more than just the absence of conflict. It refers to a state, shalom does, refers to a state in which everything is right. Everything is the way it was supposed to be. Everything is the way it was created to be. Everything is the way that it will be again, we hope, one day because of Christ. Part of this search for shalom is if we really kind of uh, focus down onto it, um, just kind of tighten it down a little bit, we go, what does that really look like for us? Well, part of that is is a desire for comfort, a desire to be comforted. We needed that comfort even just this last week as another example of senseless violence rips through something uh, actually kind of close to home, even in our own state. People have always been in a need for comfort, have always looked to God for comfort or or looked for comfort um, in a variety of places, hopefully including God. And not just for like short-term comfort. That's easy. We have mastered that. That's as quick as a cup of coffee. It's as quick as checking your text messages and getting a note from a friend. No, we're looking for something deeper than that. What we're longing for is something truer than that, something that lasts longer than that. Last Sunday we read of God saying to the prophet Isaiah, to the people through the prophet, comfort, comfort my people. Um, and Isaiah's message to the people, having received God's instruction to comfort them, was to say, look to God. God is the source of your comfort. God is the one that you need, and God is enough. That was the thing that was challenging to me. God is enough. And then we looked at John the Baptist, who 800 years later has a very similar message. He's baptizing people to enter into the way it should be, the right relationship with God, and he sees Jesus and he says, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin. Jesus is what you're looking for. I'm not the Christ. There's the Christ, and Jesus is enough. And so the challenge last week was, Um, to begin this search for shalom with the basic acknowledgement that ultimately what we're looking for is Jesus. Ultimately what we're looking for in terms of comforting our fears, our worries, our brokenness is God. And God is enough. So in the next few weeks we'll attempt to take an honest look at some other um, of our longings. We'll try to uncover the one thing that's behind the many different things that we wrestle with as we search for shalom We'll we'll look at what scripture says about this universal human experience of wanting, of looking for something, of searching for something, of of longing or searching for shalom. Today I want to talk about the search for knowledge. Uh, And I don't mean general knowledge like you might get in college or specific information, that kind of knowledge. I'm talking about the universal longing that we all have to know and to be known. Part of the search for shalom is a longing to know and to be known. Um, We'll look at two stories this morning, one from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament, one, as I said, from the book of Isaiah 45, and then one from the Gospel of John. And I hope that we'll see this with new clarity. I hope that we'll see that uh, maybe on a level that's deeper than we've recognized before, maybe with a level of clarity that's different than we've recognized before. Here's my goal for the morning. I want us to recognize more clearly the intensity with which God wants to know us. Okay, that's my goal. I want us to get a clear picture, a reminder of how intensely God wants to know each of us, each of you. Let's look at uh, Isaiah chapter 45. It's on page 505 in the Bible that we hand out. I'll read this and make some comments about it. This is what the Lord says to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I take hold of to subdue nations before him to strip kings of their armor, to open doors before him, so that the gates will not be shut. I will go before you, I will level the mountains, I will break down gates of bronze and cut through bars of iron. I will give you hidden treasures, riches stored in secret places, so that you may know that I am the Lord, the God of Israel, who summons you by name. All right, so the prophet Isaiah is the one speaking. And he's talking about God's anointed, who is Cyrus, and he's going to open doors, he's going to level ground, he's going to cut through barriers of some kind. Now, God is going to use this guy Cyrus to accomplish something. What is that? In other words, what is, this is in your notes, for what purpose is Cyrus anointed? He mentions three things, subdue the nations, know God. But ultimately, the reason that Cyrus is anointed, and we'll see this in more clarity in a few minutes, is ultimately Cyrus is anointed in order to make God known to all the people, right? So God selects Cyrus, anoints him for the purpose of making God known. Now what's surprising about that selection is this. Cyrus is not a Jewish king. Cyrus is the Persian king. Um, So Judah is the southern part of Israel. It's taken over by Babylon. That's Nebuchadnezzar. That's Daniel being taken away. A couple hundred years later, a little less than that, Babylon is taken over by an even bigger fish called Persia. And Cyrus is the king of Persia. So now Cyrus is the strongest power in the world. And God, this is so surprising, anoints Cyrus now, why is that so anoint, um, surprising? One, he's not Jewish, he's Persian. But more surprising than that is Cyrus doesn't acknowledge God. He says that twice in this passage. Cyrus doesn't even acknowledge God. Um, so even though God is not, or Cyrus is not part of God's chosen people, God is going to use Cyrus to accomplish something. Look at verse 4. For the sake of Jacob, my servant, of Israel, my chosen. Jacob and Israel are synonymous in reference to the people of God. For the sake of Jacob, for the sake of Israel, my chosen, I summon you by name. He's talking to Cyrus. I bestow on you a title of honor, though you do not acknowledge me. And then look at verse 5. I am the Lord, God says. There is no other. Apart from me, there is no God. I will strengthen you though you have not acknowledged me, so that from the rising of the sun to the place of its setting, people may know there is none beside me. I am the Lord. There's none other. I form the light. I create darkness. I bring prosperity and create disaster. I, the Lord, do all these things. But remember, what I'm hoping that we'll see this morning is the intensity with which God wants to know us. How badly God wants to know his people. God wants so badly to to make himself known to us that he will use anything and everything he can. Anything within his reach, God will use to make himself known, good or bad, prosperity or disaster. And this is not to say that God initiates brokenness, that God causes disease, that would go against what we understand of God's character based on the fuller picture from Scripture. Scripture in its total reveals to us that God is a good creator, that God is the restorer of the broken, that God is the savior of the lost, right? But within the context of this passage, God is saying that he can make himself known to us not just through the good stuff, but through the bad stuff as well. And it's stated very strongly, I create disaster. It's trying to wake us up to a bigger reality that nothing is off limits for God in his desire to make himself known to us. Now, initially, this may sound really hard to accept. It is for me, because we almost always talk about God revealing himself through good stuff, don't we? Oh, I got a job, and that just really showed me that God was taking care of me and, and my family. He revealed himself to me through the blessing of that provision. Or I was praying, and I had this experience where I felt the presence the goodness, the love of God. It was so good, God revealed himself through this goodness to me. But we almost never say that God exper- or revealed himself to us through, an, uh, through a disaster. We almost never hear people talk about, I'm so glad that I was, you know, went through this horrible experience and God revealed himself to me in the midst of that. And here's why that incomplete version of the story is so destructive to our spirituality. In other words, if we're only ever talking about seeing God in the good, God revealing himself in the good. If that's all we ever talk about, if it's all we ever teach our kids about, it is destructive to our spirituality because it's an incomplete part of the story. And the the reason it's incomplete is because even though God does reveal himself through the good, he's not limited to the good. He does reveal himself through new babies, right? And bountiful harvests and sunrises on the beach. But if we just believe that, it's destructive. And here's why. I don't need God to reveal himself to me through the good. I already recognize God's goodness in the good. It's clear to me that God is with me when things are good. When I'm experiencing shalom, I'm not searching for it. When everything's right, I may forget God, that's a different issue, but I don't need him to reveal himself to me. No, I need God to reveal himself to me in the disaster Because that's where I fail to see him. That's where I struggle to recognize anything good that could come out of this, right? I need God, I need to see God in the tragedy. I need to see God in the midst of the chaos. I'm good when it's good. What I need is to see the presence of God in the worst of times. That's when I need him to reveal himself to me. Now the point of Isaiah 45 is that God so intensely wants to make himself known to the people of God, to the whole world, that God is going to reveal himself to Israel through Cyrus, the king of Persia. It's as if God is saying, good, bad doesn't matter to me. I'm not limited by this. I will not be contained to only things that are going well. Nothing's going well for you all right now. Right? So I will reveal myself to you still through other things. I can speak through healing, or I can speak through tragic loss. I can speak through either one. I can speak, speak through um, the big rays. I can speak through the pink slip. I'm God. And I want to reveal myself to you. I want to reveal myself to you so intensely. I will not be limited to only the good things. I am not only knowable on the sunny day, but you can know me too in the storm. Now, why? Because I want so badly for you to know me, right? God's not showing off. He has a purpose. He wants so badly to make himself known that he will make himself known to us through anything. I was in a um, a really intense conversation with somebody a couple of months ago. They were really struggling with life and they were struggling with what they were reading in the Bible at the same time, which is a tough combo. And they said this to me. Um, They said, Scripture is so full of wonderful. It's also so full of what the hell. (laughs) They're like, both life and of faith and the Christian scriptures are so full of things going well and so full of things not working out the way we wanted them to, the way we thought they would, the way we thought they were supposed to. But here's the thing, God can show up in all of it. He will not be limited or contained. God wants to make himself known to us so intensely that he can use anything within his reach anything and everything within his reach to speak love to us, to to make himself known to us, to reveal himself to us. Anything within his reach, if it's in God's reach, it's not out of bounds. You can find God in it. He can reveal himself to it. Let's look at a second story. This is John chapter one. It's in the New Testament. It's on page 739, I think. Um, Maybe Daryl, you could double check that for me. I'm going to read this to you and make some comments on John, John's gospel, the first part, on page 739. Yeah. Great, thank you. Now, John writes the story of Jesus like Matthew, Mark, and Luke do, but John writes a little bit later, and he begins not with the birth of Jesus, but he begins way, way, way before that. This is how it goes. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So, he's talking about Jesus, we'll see in a minute. He's referring to Jesus as the Word the word was with God. The word was God. Then he shifts and he starts talking about Jesus as light. And he says this, the light shines in the darkness. This is so important to understand. The light is not the darkness. The light is not the silver lining of the darkness. The light is totally different than the darkness. I am not saying that we find God in brokenness, badness, Because there's a good part of that. I'm saying that God is light. He invades something totally different, which is darkness. And the darkness has not overcome the light. It's two different things, but one cannot cover up the other. That's why God can use all things. right? Reveal all things. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness has not overcome it. Then, he says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He's talking about John the Baptist. Not John, the guy who writes this, the disciple. John the Baptist came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself, John the Baptist, was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own But his own didn't even receive him, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become not just slaves in the kingdom, he gave the right to become not just acquaintances, he gave the right to become, to those who didn't even receive him until then they were recognized and they believed, he gave the right to become children of God. Deep, intimate, there, there's almost, it's almost impossible, there's maybe just the marriage relationship that poten- potentially reveals a more um, intimate, tender relationship between children and parents. Children born not of a natural descent or of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. How intensely does God want to know us? He, st- he explains the, his coming um, and then uses this ultimate um, metaphor of being a child as the kind of relationship into which he is drawing us and he is inviting us and now here's the punchline of john chapter one i think it's the most important christmas passage in the bible verse 14 the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us we have seen his glory the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth right this is what we celebrate at christmas God and is in the closest relationship with the Father, i.e. child of God, son of God, has made him known. This is the most important Christmas passage. There's so much here, but what I want you to see is this. It echoes what we said from Isaiah 45. Isaiah 45 story shows that God so intensely wants to make himself known to us, he uses everything to reveal himself to us. The John 1 story shows that God so intensely wants to make himself known to us, he comes to us himself. He reveals himself to us in person as a baby in naked vulnerability. John writes, the word became flesh and made, him, made his dwelling among us. In other words, God uses all that he has and he uses all that he is for one purpose, and that is to make himself known to you, and to me, and to us. Amen? Amen. And so, it really, I think, just leaves us with one question, and that is, how should we respond? How should we respond to this God who makes all this effort to come to us? If the stories reveal a God who wants so badly for me to know him, that he uses everything that he has, and all that he is to reveal himself to me, then what should I do? And I would, I would suggest this. I should follow his lead. I should do what he does. I should take as my pattern the pattern that he establishes for me. This is what I mean. First, I should surrender all that I have to him. The good and the bad. I should bring it all to him. I should say, here is the best I have. Here is the most Valuable possession I have. Here are the most cherished relationships that I have. I surrender them to you. Here is the best of my time. It's yours. Here is the first of my money. It's yours. I'm surrendering it to you. And I should also say, friends, please hear this. I should also say, and here's my brokenness. I'm going to bring that to you as well. Here's my confusion. Here's my sadness. Here's the things that didn't happen the way I hoped they would. They're broken dreams in my life. I'm going to bring them to you. Here's my sin. Here's the parts of my life that are like Cyrus. They don't even acknowledge you. But in your grace, I will bring them before you. I will surrender them to you. All that I have, everything within my reach, I will bring to you. And secondly, I will come to him myself. I must surrender myself to him just as I am, like a baby in naked vulnerability. Surrender all that I am so that I myself, not just all that I have, but I myself could be known. Right? And as I surrender everything that I have and all that I am, in other words, as I allow myself because I really am given that choice, as I allow myself to be known by the God who wants so badly to make himself known to me, I begin to know God. And this deep longing that I have to know and to be known begins to be filled. And it was for this reason, this was why the longing was placed in me from the beginning, so that I may know the God who longs so intensely to know me. Amen? Let's take a minute. I'm going to ask Amy and Rose to sing, and I want to give us a minute or two to consider all that we have and all that we are. These are vast categories, but I want to ask you to Submit yourself to a moment of prayer and honesty and consider allowing God to uh, point out to you what needs to be surrendered to him still. What would enable you to be more open to being known? Facilitate your knowing him more completely. And as they sing, I want to encourage you to come light a candle as some sort of a physical action, naming that thing. Uh, You're welcome to come forward. Sometimes it just helps to move forward and just pray closer to the cross. Um, But let's take some time, as Amy and Rose sing, and let's just give God some uh, space to speak to us personally. Um, There is nothing in your life that is out of bounds. He wants to use everything and anything to reveal himself to you. Are you willing to allow him to do that? Am I willing to allow him to do that in the prosperity and also in the disaster? Thank you, Lord, for the clear uh, declaration in your word and the clear demonstration in the incarnation in Christ's coming of the intensity of your desire to know us. And may we respond to that intensity uh, with full surrender and uh, hold nothing back from you and allow you to know us and to uh, and to receive the grace that we need to know you, I pray in Jesus' name, Amen. 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 Thanks. Thank you. Amen. Good. So I had a really uh, interesting conversation with my daughter yesterday. This is off, Uh, yeah, this is unprepared. Um, So she is 15, she's growing up, she's becoming more aware of the brokenness of our world. It's harder to shield her from things. It might not even be wise anymore to shield her from some things. Um, And that's a hard process to parent through, isn't it? Um, so I want to tell you more about that sometime, but here's why I bring it up like this. The gospel either makes sense in little children's stories only, or it makes sense in all of life. Um, the, go- the gospel is either powerful enough uh, for like a five or six year problem, Year old problem, or it's powerful enough to address a 43 year old's problem and a 65 year old's problem. Um, and I want my kids to know that the gospel is, is big enough, and Jesus is strong enough, and the peace from God is, is real enough that um, even some of the worst stuff that we hear about on the news or at school uh, is still something that can be addressed by the gospel. We believe that as a church, and that's why one of our three values is compassion. That's why we want to embrace the needs and the brokenness around us um, with action. And uh, sometimes that involves some real hard conversations. We want to support, in other words, uh, single parents in our community. And that conversation is a conversation that involves at some point, um, th- a companion left, and that's a hard thing to teach to a kid. Um, and it's a hard reality to face as an adult. Um, we want to I- include raising funds for the Axiom, which is our youth center that we've started. Um, and we've already been involved in some really rough situations with families and kids through that. Um, and then the international project that we're, that we're targeting this year is um, Aim. Agape International Mission, and the, that whole mission is addressing uh, the trafficking of children, and that's a rough issue, and that's hard to, uh, to address with honesty and clarity, um, and we have to be sensitive about it. We want to be sensitive about it, and yet we want to also say that uh, we want to make a difference in that kind of level of, of brokenness. So, um, what we're going to do in the next few weeks is before the piece, we're going to highlight one of uh, the parts of our compassion plan so that during the piece you would have an opportunity to give some support. I urge you to get a few fewer Christmas presents and to put a significant amount of money towards these compassion efforts. Um, we're in thousands. Last year, I think we, what did we raise last year, Sandy, like six, six and a half thousand? And like for aim this year we 've embraced a commitment to raise two thousand five hundred dollars for them um, because this has to be addressed so um, we 're going to show an instructional uh, informational i should say ins- informational video uh, right now, and the first part of it is is in, it 's intense, the language is intense the, uh, so if if you have a, a young child, then this might be a great time to um, grab a donut and a trip to the bathroom. Or this would even, this is, what is it? It's about 15 or 20, the first 15 or 20 seconds, it might just be something you might want to cover ears. It's not horrible, but I think you'd appreciate the, um, the warning. All right. Um, good. Anything else, Stephanie? We'll come back to this in a second. Okay. Good. Would you guys um, play that? And uh, this is, again... This is to inform us about an organization that we want to support moving into 2016. They're based in Cambodia, but they do work all over that region. All right. Thanks. <laughs> I'm going to have to stay here. There is so many people there.